everybody, Jim here, and this is episode 293 of the Weird Science DC Comics Podcast. This is a spotlight episode where me, myself, and I will go through two books. We'll get to that in a minute. First, let me tell you where you can find us all around. We are on Twitter at Weird Science DC. We have a website, weirdsciencedccomics.com. We have a YouTube channel, Weird Science Comics. Doesn't have the DC there because I also do some Marvel stuff, and I'm planning on doing some uh, manga and indie comic stuff. So that's just a little aside. That's a little spoiler for you. But we also have a Patreon account, patreon.com slash weirdscience, where you can go and support us for all of that stuff that I just mentioned. But you'll also get a ton in return. Whatever level you pick on the Patreon, I do believe that you will get your money's worth in extra shows, extra nonsense, a lot of stuff that I do, things like that. And I do think that at least the quantity is there. You'd have to decide yourself if the quality is there or talk to some people that are on the Patreon already. But I do think that at least the amount of stuff that we do and the amount of effort that we put into it, I do believe that it would stack up well against anybody on Patreon. We really do try to make it worth your while to go there and support us to get some extra stuff. One of the things that we do each week, me and Eric on Thursday, we get together, we have a little powwow, we have some fun, we talk a little, little tea party, and in the meantime, we talk about two books that are picked by the badasses of the Get Fresh crew, beep boop, and that's what we like to call the DC Comics Patreon-only spotlight, because those two books are exclusive to the Patreon, they will not be on any other shows, what we ended up having to talk about this week, because again, don't blame me, blame the badasses. They're the ones who picked them in a poll, and they picked Batman and the Outsiders, number 13, okay. They also picked Dark Knight's Death Metal, number one, the big book of pretty much the summer. So they picked that for themselves. So if you want to hear that, you can go over, I believe that the show ended up being about an hour and 20 minutes, and yes, me and Eric argued a little, as we always do. But, yeah, if you would go over there and just check it out, that would be great. But we're not here for that, right? We're here to talk two books. The first book I'm going to talk about has caused me to have a mind warp for the entire night. I will tell you right now, I read this issue of The Green Lantern Season 2, Number 4, six times. Six times until I felt comfortable even being uncomfortable talking about it because I'm still not comfortable to talk about this. This issue is wacky times 20. You end up having Grant Morrison writing a issue that is so out there yet isn't, if that makes sense. But I will tell you what I mean after I give you the credits. This is The Green Lantern Season 2, number 4, written by Grant Morrison, art by Liam Sharp, and really, if there's anything to really praise about this issue, it will be Liam Sharp's art, Steve Olaf on colors, and Tom Orzachowski on letters. It is a Hal Jordan, Barry Allen, Green Lantern Flash team-up. That is some of the funnest team-ups you'll ever get in any comics. It is something that fans of both Green Lantern and Flash look forward to. When they hear about it, they can't wait. One of my favorite annuals of all time, even though I don't think it's going to be something that a tried and true Flash or Green Lantern fan will think is, you know, serious enough, maybe. Not that they don't like having fun, but it was in the New 52. 
Uh, it was awesome. It was one of the first, if not the first team-up type of annuals that I ever read that actually gave me the concept, you know what, I'm going to start reading these annuals because they could be a lot of fun. And so with this issue, having that team-up, that is fun. But what you end up having Grant Morrison do, and he's been doing this in this season two so far, you're getting a lot of seemingly one-shots that probably will tie in by the end, but in the here and now, they just feel weird. And not just weird because, oh, we got another one shot. I'm talking weird because the wacky level of just nonsense. And it is nonsense, but it's one of those, and I know that I'm going to ramble on about this. It is, I'm stepping in the AM right now. It is in the AM, and I am already tired from, but just the idea that he like, he mixes one part insanity to two parts past continuity to one part window dressing to something like he must throw like, I don't know, a haggis thing in there. I don't know what he does. He ends up making a goulash of complete nonsense that makes sense the more you read it, but doesn't make sense because by the end, what I think that he does he ends up having a very simple story and then adds the the flavor to it. But I think he's going too far with the flavor. It, it, it is flavor country, but I don't need to be in flavor country. I need to be in story country. I need to be in I understand what's going on country because like Grant Morrison does, I'm sure a lot of this, including a certain gal that shows up here, I'm sure that this is all going to tie in by the end. The problem is... When you're reading it now, it's so confusing at points. How can you be trusted to remember that at the end when you're so confused, your head's spinning now? He also adds in a bunch of aliens that talk different ways. This is something he's done since the beginning of this Green Lantern. But overall, I think that he is not padding the story but padding the details onto the story, which then makes the story, it's it, its crazy. And you do start out with this crazy deer. Well, Hal Jordan seems like he's in prehistoric times. He's all whacked out. He's looking, where did Central City? Oh, my God, Central City. And then you just see he's in a museum. You know, that's all it is. He's in a museum where he is looking at a bunch of prehistoric bones. At one point, looks like a pile of turd that they're looking at now. From the very, very beginning, you get these shout outs and these shout outs make the issue mean something more. But I think, again, they're too much for the common man and woman comic book reader. If you're not fully invested in Green Lantern, Flash lore, or if you don't want to spend your time researching an issue for longer than it takes to read the issue, because that's what I did. And I read it six times, and I still research it way more than that. And by the end, when I realized, when it finally hits me what the story really is, I felt as if I had just worked an 18-hour shift at work and got paid for an hour and a half. I'm not talking time and a half. I'm talking I only got paid an hour and a half for all that work that I did because it ends up kind of being simple. Well, you end up having Barry show up. Hey, Hal, what's going on? I'm late as usual. Oh, man. You even get... This weird deal as you're going where Hal references kind of the heroes in crisis. They're talking about Wally. I don't know if this is tongue in cheek, if this is Grant Morrison saying that 
Grant Morrison, it it wasn't even worth the time for anybody to be around during Heroes in Crisis because it was such bullcrap. But he's like, hey, I heard about that big meltdown or crisis or I'm sorry, I should have been there. And then Barry says, you were saving the universe. I can empathize. Wally's faced tough times before. I know he'll come through. So in my mind, and I always like to think that everything's a jab. Everything's a diss track. I'm getting the idea that Grant Morrison's like, don't worry about that nonsense. <laughs> it didn't really matter anyway. And you were busy doing important things. And plus, Wally's going to be okay because he already is starting to be that. And, all, and also then goes on and says, and eh, most days just waiting for the next big cosmic reshuffle. So again, it's this tongue in cheek, but it's also the idea of Grant Morrison at the same time that he's talking about waiting for this reshuffle, waiting for a reboot, waiting for a new continuity. He's dealing in this issue with a past continuity and he's dealing with it right away because what you have on display in this museum are these golden giants. Now, we had a golden giant, Zundernell, in season one, in issue number 11. You had the Guardians of the Multiverse fighting Zundernell, the golden giant. Well, the golden giants are a call out. The golden giants are a call out to 1961. It was from Flash number 120, and it was a issue called The Land of the Golden Giants, written by John Broom, with pencils by Carmine Infantino, where you had these golden giants. So these are something that was in the past. Now, in this issue, it does seem as if the golden giants, this whole race, they are going to think about invading Earth and how they're going to decide if it is worth doing is they're going to grab some earthlings and they're going to test them to see how tough they are, see what they can do. It just happens that when they do go and grab somebody or three, it's going to be Barry, Flash, Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, and Olivia Reynolds, who just shows up here. And the cool thing about Olivia Reynolds is her first appearance is in Flash number 191 in September of 1969. That was another John Broom story called How to Invade Earth Without Really Trying. And that was penciled by Ross Andrew. But this is one of those things when we go through a lot of this The Green Lantern, you do end up with these one shots being, you know, call outs or shout outs or homages to a certain writer, to a certain creative team, stuff like that. And this is definitely a John Broom deal. And what's cool about this deal, when you add Olivia Reynolds, her first appearance in this Flash 191, legitimately was a team up of Flash and Green Lantern. And everything that they say in here is legit. Everything that, you know, you have Grant Morrison throwing at you, especially with the whole Olivia Reynolds, it's legit. At one point, she was a toy salesman, as was Hal Jordan. They were rival the rival toy salesmen, they were also lovers. They, they were girlfriend, boyfriend. And the big thing is, as we get into this, but I'll explain it now, is that Olivia has a little latent ability called the U-Mind. She has the U-Mind, which is pretty much one of the most powerful things in the universe. It's like the anti-life equation. This is something that can destroy universes, destroy planets, all this stuff. She has it in her mind. And how and ba they ended up wiping her mind, trying to get that out of there, not wiping it, but making her so she can't remember this 
because she can destroy everything. This all plays out in this issue. It's just, it's such a deep cut dive that it's crazy. I even thought that there was a deal because then Hal says, hey, and it's one of those like an ex-girlfriend, boyfriend you see. And when you see him, you want to kind of say, oh, what have you been up to? You hope that you've been up to better things. That's me because I'm a jerk. But hey, what are you still the queen of Toyland? And the thing is, since then, she's become the empress of Toyland because Time Magazine called her that. She says, well, I'm actually the empress. And you, it makes sense. You're a Green Lantern, you know, I should have known that. And it's almost like in my mind, this was a funny little thing. Again, a diss track of kind of what's going on with Superman about how Superman had the advantage and being a reporter and Superman. That's some, and now here it is, and in a goofy way. Oh, I should have realized you were Green Lantern, even though you had this. At one point, Olivia even was doing a line of Green Lantern toys based on Guy Gardner Warrior. It's wacky, but so all of this is going down, and what Olivia is doing is she is trying to make a toy line out of these Golden Giants. She's trying to get the green light for it. They're figuring out how right away goes right back to his toy salesmanship. Like, you know, almost like a Tom Hanks and big. I don't get it. Like, really? You're going to have like, what are you going to have cavemen throwing rock toys? You know, you're not going to have a lot of accessories with that. And it is kind of a funny little play that Grant Morrison is doing about the marketability of a comic. And, and there has been times where you even had the Green Lantern animated series that ended up having to be cut short because the toys didn't sell. So I don't know. It's all that. Well, while they're standing there, all of a sudden, a hand reaches out from a portal. This is all displayed. These ancient things that they dug up, these big, giant, golden giants, this portal, all these things. A hand goes and reaches and grabs Olivia, pulls her in, and you end up having Barry and Hal both jump in. Now, right away, you're going to get a concept in my mind where you're going to play around a little with that toy thing where Hal goes in and sees, you know, he's trying to get his ring. Where am I ring? Never mind. What's that? It's a pterodactyl. Oh, my God. But it's a it's a mecca. It's a clockwork pterodactyl, which then his ring says, ah, can I suggest technodactyls? And you're like, what, what is going on? <laughs> what, what What's happening here? And it does take multiple readings and and actually it takes a lot of just letting yourself kind of go with the story to realize what's going on uh how ends up going above earth with he traps these you know technodactyls takes them above earth realizes that it's a clockwork earth it's not a real earth they're in some crazy simulation type thing this is a toy of earth you even have pangea that it's so crazy so you end up where they're separated, and that's the big problem with this issue, I think, because if you're excited about a Flash and Green Lantern team up, they get separated. And I don't know why he would have done that, but you end up having Flash with Olivia. They're separated. Flash is trapped in this crazy thing that's a counter vortex. He's trying to re-go against it. It, it reminds me of basically me trying to take a crap in Australia and getting real confused because when you flush, it goes the opposite way because I, I know that's true, right? So you end up where he's like, oh, I got I to gotta shift a different way. I do this. And he does do that. And then he's dizzy. But he's talking to Olivia. And they see these golden giants again. And what ends up happening is you have a lot of aliens. And, and some of the aliens, in my mind, even look Watchmen-esque. 
you know, you have the whole aliens that are coming. It's all thrown in, but you do also have like Land of the Misfit toys where, and they're talking. And what you get is a back and forth talk. You end up having the toys talk where some of it you can understand, like cling, play, play until broken, but it doesn't, it's cling, plie, plie until broken. But you can tell what's going on. But then there's a sing song rhyming like a nursery rhyme, kitty nursery rhyme, that then will explain it again. Sometimes the alien stuff, you don't even know what's going on. I can't even translate what's going on. Then there's sometimes that the nursery rhyme stuff is confusing as well. But all this is going on with both Flash and Olivia. Well, you go off to Hal, and Hal seems to be facing these cosmic judges, these big giant guys. And I'm telling you, this is like yellow submarine acid trip nonsense. The art's great. This is really the forte of a Liam Sharp, drawing fantastical things that feel like acid trips. And so you have these golden judges that are riding in open mouth demon spaceships that are there with things coming out of mouths and things and eyes, just crazy, while they are kind of putting Hal Jordan on trial. He does, And this is where you're not getting the, the nursery rhyme stuff and some of this alien dialogue I cannot follow. I wish I could. I wish I could tell you exactly what's going on, but I can't. And I'm trying to, but... They are trying to, you know, figure out what's going on. And as this is going on, Hal Jordan's face is getting dissected into seven million things as he's screaming, he's crying, all these things. Well, he then says, okay, okay, I'll come quietly. It seems like they they are going to test them and we're going to figure out that they're an anomaly or a phenomaly. They're your property of this and whatever. And there's easy, there's also the idea of toy rights going through this, but... Hal says, take me to your leader. And then we kind of go away from him. Later, he just shows up with Barry. I don't know what happened with Hal, really. I really don't know what happened when he said, take me to your leader. I guess it's the idea of, okay, we'll set this whole test in mode. I, I don't know. You end up with Olivia and Flash, and they are themselves going through tests. And you're getting a lot of the... Pretty much the basis of what's going on through Barry. Barry seems to realize a lot of things going on. And so he's going to tell you, but they're trying to rip him apart again. It seems like you're guilty. There you go. At that point, you have a springing golden giant coming out of a rock, big open mouth that's landing on a desert where you, uh, it, it's nonsense. But while this is going on, Hal does show up. And that's where he says, you know, Hey, Barry, what's going on? Pull yourself together because it looks like Barry is deflating. He does pull himself together in a way that looks like he wants to pump you up. And then like, hey, uh, hey, Hal, what's the plan? I'm not much of a plan guy. You're the plan guy. You're the guy who can run around real fast and come up with seven trillion plans and then pick the best one. I trust you. I think you can do that. Well, they end up realizing as this whole thing is going on that this is a preliminary test, a preliminary deal to an invasion, a big scale invasion going on. So they have to stop it. They have to prove that they can stop it. And what they end up doing is Hal's going to go off and he's going to play billiards with these fake planet moons. 
that are ships. Okay. He, he's legitimately going into space and making a construct of a hands playing billiards. And he is going to, and it's almost like I'm going to hit this war planet into that one, into that one side pocket. So he's going to do this. In the meantime, you do have Barry three tests to see what kind of challenge we might pose where humans break. I didn't want to involve you, Olivia. And this is where at this point I, okay, so this is an alien invasion. Okay. And there's tests that they want to see if they can do this. Well, they, they pick the wrong people and they really pick the wrong people with Olivia because what Olivia ends up having is the U mine. And that's where Barry says, I think we're going to need the U mine. This is his Hail Mary plan where he's going to activate. He's going to remind Olivia Reynolds that she does have the U mine. Again, this makes her like dark side times 80. She is all powerful. She can just do what she wants. I do what I want and ends up where Barry is fighting and then ends up activating. And this is where Olivia's like, you, you, you mind, you said you mind. That's oh my God, how he used to erase my memory. Now I remember. And she pretty much just makes everything disappear so that she can get Hal Jordan to appear in front of her to yell at him about this you mind how dare you ending up you know erasing this from my memories things like that so basically in her fit of anger she just obliterates almost everything that was the test everything going on and then how as he comes it's pretty much men in black he ends up you see the ring activate and she forgets again he ends up wiping her mind of that memory not wiping her mind of the you mind that is there but again, this is something where when this is explained and also it does seem as Quing, along with the Quing, this alien, he seems to know what's going on, too. So that might be something that definitely plays out later. Well, you end up even having Hal and Barry talking about like, oh, my God, you know, th- this is nonsense. Like if Olivia remembers this, you mind, she could destroy everything she could destroy the the entire universe the entire existence they say uh, barry apologizes said i i had no other choice i mean i really needed to do something and i ran through a thousand things plans it was the best one she's more powerful than all of us put together except you know and except dot 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 but then house says if olivia reynolds ever becomes fully conscious of her you mind worlds will die and she will too she can never know so you have that. And it seems as if, you know, Olivia's gone on her way. She she ends up throughout this whole thing. She's taking video and pictures of all these aliens so that these are the things in her mind as she's going through this. These are the toys that they need to kind of go against Hal. And Hal's like, oh, these golden giants, they're boring. Well, you end up seeing wackiness inside there. So she was taking cell phone pictures, which freaked out the aliens as well. But she ends up doing that, right? So... Barry is going to say goodbye now. Here is the thing. Like I said, the simple story is there's going to be an alien invasion. They want to test Earth. They end up picking the three wrong people. They prove that they're too powerful and they back off. That's it. All this nonsense is over. But the big thing that will continue from all of this has been in the background from the very beginning of the issue. You end up seeing, and if you're reading it, a lot of people probably would have thought right away. Oh, my God, what's Clark Kent doing there? What's Superman doing hanging out? That's actually Hyperman. 
And this has been the kind of thing in the background of the big bad. When you end up having Hal Jordan and Barry Allen get back to the museum, they're going to part ways. Barry says, I got to go. I have a rain check. I got some things planned. He goes off. He gets frozen in time. At the same time, the Guardians seem to be trying to get a hold of Hal and the ring itself is trying to talk to Hal about thwarting this alien invasion. Hal wants to say they're trying to confirm if there was the target, all these. Well, the ring is telling them to beware that there are aliens, destroyers, galactic presence in this area with them. And you still see what I said was Hyperman that does look a lot like Clark Kent. In the meantime, it says there's three. There's three people. Well, it's because there's Hyperman sitting there. There's also Hyper Woman and Hyper Dog are the three big bads that are coming after Hal Jordan. And they are the ones responsible for killing Lantern Vray on Thrombus. All these things, the big bad behind all this season two, that's them. And they're here. So this ending is important. And you end up where Hyper Woman pretty much out of nowhere starts putting Hal into the sleeper hold. And says, you know, I'm going to kill you. And trust me, it's nothing personal. We, we're just going to, you know, sometimes everyone has to die and is going to kill Hal. And Hal looks like he is dying. In the meantime, everybody else seems to be stuck in this time freeze. Even Barry, as he was walking out, he ends up getting frozen. So that that is the end. It's wacky. It's really wacky. And I hope that maybe I kind of shed some light on it because i i'm not sure it's so crazy that i'm have convinced that none of the things i said made sense and really i may not be 100 percent right that's kind of the fun of this but it also is the you know craziness and it really does set me you know like oh man should i should i talk about this should i actually have it on the podcast because i may end up just saying something that's completely not right and i may not be but i figured whatever we're going to go with it. We're going to talk about it. So let's just go for it, baby. But overall, I, I can't I can't give it anything but a, a five. Five only because it just took so long to even get a little bit of anything out of it. I had to do a lot of research. And even so, me telling you who Olivia Reynolds is, me telling you she has the you mind, does that really make the issue better? I mean, I don't know that it does. At least I'm trying to show you that I did some research. I mean, even in the thing, you end up having Barry and Hal talk about the Langlands. Uh, oh, she I thought she said England, but she said Langland. That is a race of being sustained by the U-Mind in that first issue, Flash 191 by John Broom, that Olivia showed up in. D- does that make it better? I mean, does does uh, Grant Morrison showing you that he read that issue and remembers it? It's just I don't know that sometimes his over knowledge and his over reliance on his knowledge, but never really passing a lot of that on. I don't know that that makes a better issue. It, It does end up being somewhat impressive after the fact when you find out about things. But does that make it a better issue? This is a very hard issue to read. It is a very hard issue to get through without losing your mind. You know, at points, I wanted to stop reading and just give it up. I only continue because I'm putting it on this podcast. I think that if I was reading normally, this fourth issue of this second season 
when you get a bunch of these one shots, each one wackier than the next, I think it's been too much. I think that that you are really sh- you're really putting a lot on the reader to really just put up with your nonsense for a little bit of story behind it. And I think that that's a shame because I know there are a lot of Grant Morrison super fans. Also, just remember too, this is the only real Green Lantern book, you know, of the main that you're getting. So if you're a Green Lantern fan, you're going to be reading this book and you want something good. So I think that some people, oh my, we're going to have a Green Lantern Flash team up. That's classic of all time. And you have to wade through this and really sit there and really work hard to enjoy it. And I think that that's not well played. The art's great. Liam Sharp's art's great throughout this whole thing. There's been times where I've said that I wasn't really down so much with Liam Sharp's art and some issues. Some of the issues tend to give, you know, more of what he does best. Say the Vampire Planet issue in season one. That really gave you the Liam, like Liam Sharp, there's his deal. You are really putting it right down the middle of the plate for him there. Some of the space stuff, He's more of an organic, uh, you know, drawer. Once you get to a lot of battles and if you have ships and things, I don't think it plays out as well. But things like this and, and this one really did play out well. He got to do a lot of wacky stuff. I, I just as I was reading it like the fourth time, I, I actually went through it the one time thinking if I was Liam Sharp and I got that script, would I really know what the hell to draw? Like, just from the script, would I know to draw what he's drawing, or does Grant Morrison really have to, you know, spell things out? Because poor Liam Sharp, who knows? You know, he might just be like, I don't know what's going on, so, oh well. But we'll move on to the next issue. The next issue is a little more straightforward. It's a little, it's another, pretty much kind of a one-shot that will end up, in my mind, tying up to everything later. So it does have that little theme. It's also a digital-only, digital first deal. It is Deceased Hope at Worlds. And number three, it's written by Tom Taylor. Art by Carmine D. Giam DeMonico. Colors by Rex Locus and letters by Seda Timofante. Now, the first issue of this Hope at Worlds, and we got the beginning of the virus, the anti-life virus, told through the eyes of Jimmy Olsen. And really, by the end, the eye of Jimmy Olsen, right? You, you know what I'm Get saying? Me. Because he ended up having an eye patch is what I'm what I'm saying. You know what I am saying? Uh, and then the second issue, you end up having uh, the beginning of the anti-life deal going through the point of view of Black Adam, who ends up protecting conduct number one. That's always his M.O. But then when he ends up getting, you know, a little call from wonder woman and superman saying hey can we use conduct as a sanctuary i mean the idea that you're sealing yourself off from the world that really fits well with a you know place that we need to go a refuge there so can we do that no and then by the end and i will spoil those things by the end black adam ends up becoming infected in a weird way but a way that he was he was going through things looking through the world through a man's heart not a god's brain, right? There you go. Well, you get this third issue, and Tom Taylor came out on Twitter and said, Hey, everybody, Holly West is up next. And it's funny because people are getting the same reaction out of Deceased, at least when characters are announced, that me and all the other people who loved Injustice back in the day from Tom Taylor had. When you ended up having Tom Taylor announce, or you see a solicitor, or you see something there, a preview, and they say, Oh, my God. It's a Blue Beetle issue. You're like, oh, Blue Beetle's dead. 
And now the thing that was kind of not as like deceased has one thing over injustice. I think I think injustice is way better story. And I suggest if you like this deceased and you're just getting into Tom Taylor, go and read all of the injustice. It's supreme. But what you end up having with injustice, especially, you know, the year one stuff and when Tom Taylor was writing it is there was also a video game. And when you ended up having things happen in the beginning of the video game, you kind of knew what might happen in the prequel comic. Or you knew that, hey, they just had this character in the comic, but they're not in the game. And usually that meant trouble. So you you ended up getting hints. But still, when you'd have a thing like, oh, here's this character. Oh, no, that's my favorite character. What's going to happen? Well, that's what happened with Wally West here. He ended up going on Twitter and saying, hey, Wally West issue coming, and people lost their minds. I, I sat there and laughed, number one, because this is Elseworlds. But I guess if you are a super fan of a character, you don't want anything bad to happen to him at any time. Wally West fans have really had a bad time of it lately. I mean, even Wally West in the Mobius chair with Dr. Manhattan Powers does not seem like the great greatest Wally West. And people are still upset. He doesn't have his family. He ended up with the poster child of Rebirth, and he's a murderer. All these things wrapped up in the one where they're just looking for something to grab onto, something to be happy about. So when they hear that Wally is going to be in Deceased, they can only think the worst. But luckily, the worst doesn't happen to him. And then he ends up even the worst happens to somebody, but Wally even is able to help them out because that's what wally does wally is a great guy wally is a guy who wants to save everyone this does play out the idea that heroes can't save everyone and sometimes you got to save who you can and just try your best you do see the whole thing start and one thing the art's really good and what i like about the art is carmine dg and demonico ended up doing the rebirth flash at the very beginning with joshua williamson so i think that's a, a pretty big thing to have a digital book like this get at least a, you know a pretty recent artist that was on a flash book i think that that's really cool and it shows me that they are dc and tom taylor and everybody involved that they're not treating this as a throwaway like some of the digital stuff was if you end up going and reading the infinite crisis digital that was from the game nobody remembers that was nonsense. That was a throwaway. This is not. But, and I really did not like that whole deal. But you end up where the, the virus hits. Wally right away realizes what's going on. He does end up saving Linda. Linda, she was doing a lot of screen time. Wally is able to stop it. He's able to smash all of the devices right away. I'm telling you, when I see that, that iPad there, get or the Q-pad that we had back in the New 52, you end up seeing that smash, and it makes me so sad because I have an iPad. It is one of my most prized possessions. It, I even said, I said it today. I say it usually about six times a week that that is the best purchase that I've ever done. And, and really, to throw it all back, it actually was the first thing I bought from having our Patreon. I figured I am going to you know, do something for myself and the site because I use that constantly to read. I love it. I could go on and on about my iPad. But yeah, he ends up doing that and then going off. Says, Linda, just don't look at no screen time. You're in the timeout, baby. I'm heading out. I'm going to save everybody. And he does go out in Keystone City where he is. And he ends up going, Flash Museum, going to check things out. 
the world's a disaster. And I love the way Carmine DG de Monaco uh, draws this. You end up seeing it in black and white because they are frozen to Barry because uh, Barry Wally because he's running so fast. But you still see the blood and the gore and you see everybody losing their mind. Now, remember, the whole thing about this at first seemed like it was going to be just you know, devices. It almost seemed like a social commentary of the zombies always looking at their phones, which it still kind of is. But you end up while this is going on, which is cool to me, where it does give you the stats. If you look at a device, you get it. Then you can pass it on with blood, something that Tom Taylor needed to do because eventually all of the devices will be destroyed. You still have to be able to pass it on. You have to have battles and things. So you do get that. Though I will tell you, for a third chapter of a digital book that comes after a full miniseries, Deceased, and then a three-issue prestige format-type miniseries of Unkillables into this, you don't really have to spell out every issue what the rules are, but he does, and he does it fast. So you get that. Well, While he's going around, he's trying to save everyone. He really is trying to do his best, but he can't. He is not, he's fast enough, but not fast enough. He's only one guy. He can't do this. Now, he is getting very lucky because I think that it takes a little teeny bit of things where if you're running around this fast, and he says he's running so much that he's getting exhausted, soon he'll run so much to exhaust himself they may have to put him in the sanctuary right what you do makes me cry at night and i'm sorry about that but yes yeah you have and i I even said in my review he's a hero in crisis but you end up where he is just destroying devices grabbing he's trying to help but he can't do it all and what he needs to do is get a team he needs to get people that can help him now you would think like oh my god who is he going to get who is it going to be well as he's thinking this he does get called by batman and i love this scene because it puts a time frame really on if you read the first deceased miniseries you will know that batman ended up being infected he ended up where jason todd nightwing red robin actually not jason todd but red uh Red Robin, Tim Drake, they end up getting infected. They're dead. Yeah, Batman is infected. He's trying to keep it off until he can get everything in order. Then he's going to die. But he ends up calling Wally and says, hey, uh, you got to stop running. You got to hide. And Wally knows why he's saying that. I get it. You think that if I end up getting infected, I will be the most dangerous guy here. I can go. Don't worry. You know, you're just, you know, this guy who's always miserable, whatever. I can do this. And you have Batman say, well, Barry listened to me. And he's like, well, good for Barry. And I kind of like that. Like, Barry can sit on the sidelines all he wants. I'm not. I'm going to save people. This is what I do. Batman says, don't get scratched. Don't look at the screen. While he knows this. But he also then says, I got it. I got it. Sorry, I don't have time for this. I got to save people. Hey, tell Dick to stay out of trouble. And this is where, and if you're reading this, and you would have to read it digitally because that's all it's available. This is something that... If you ever listen to Fat Men on Batman, way, way back, I listened to a Kyle Higgins deal with uh, on uh, Fat Man on Batman. And he ended up talking about how the digital way you do things is so great because you always get that page turn. You always have that next page that you can do surprises all the time. For the most part, you just get one page, one page, one page as you're going through in a regular comic. You end up, you know, having to work out the deal because you can end up spoiling something on that second page as you open it up that you're going to see right away. But on the digital, you can really play out 
this whole idea of page turns. So when Batman's talking all this page and you're getting this in, Batman's there, you only see his hand. You get that turn page then to see, yeah, Dick, you can't really say much about He's dead. He's already been turned and dead, and Batman is in that containment suit before he ends up pretty much getting rid of himself because he's infected as well. It's so well done that it really puts the deal of, oh, my God, that's Batman. He's just trying to get everything right before he ends up dying. This is awesome. Uh, But it also shows you in a great way the repercussions of what can happen. And even a Batman who's the smartest guy that, you know, all the stuff he prepares for everything well. He's infected. So when he's telling Wally, please don't do this, get off the, the playing field, go with that. He's not just saying it just as a guy who is a cynical guy and confident because he's angry or whatever. He, he knows what's happening. And by the end, you even get that idea and you get an inside look at what happens when you get turned. But we'll get to that in a minute because Wally, he needs a team. He ends up going, and it's funny because he does go off to. Get the team, which first off is Max Mercury and Bart Allen. He saves Bart Allen here. Bart Allen is going to play a video game. He has devices everywhere. He is going to end up being infected. When Wally comes in, he destroys everything so that he can't be. He destroys the TV, the laptop, all these things. And then says, and you even have Bart, Wally, no, not the TV. And you're like, oh, my God, thank God. I mean, there is a little tension there of is Bart going to end up going? Well, you end up then the team is going to be Max Mercury. You have Bart, but you also have Jesse Quick that they got to go. And it's cool. It's not the the all the Flash family that you would want. It's more Flash family than we're getting in anything else. So this is Tom Taylor, like really saying, like, here you go. And And what I do at the end of this, and we always talk about, Things that are coming up. We were going to get that 5G. It doesn't look like we're going to have that. We do have Joshua Williamson ending his run on Flash. I am in particular a guy who any book that comes up where we don't know who is going to be the writer, I always say Tom Taylor because I love him. I could I could have him on every DC book and then put Chip Zdarsky on every Marvel book and I'm fine. I'm good then or vice versa. I don't care. Have half and half, Ooh, whatever. But I do think that maybe Tom Taylor could be the flash. But even better, if after all this metal stuff, the death metal, you're going to have a Wally West and Flash family book, I can go with Tom Taylor doing that too, right? Hey, right? You got me. So you end up having this team and they have to stop the spread. They have to. And, and that's the real thing here. Is it's not necessarily we're going to save everybody by some crazy. They have to stop the spread so that the people who are around can do their deal. Now, you do end up having them save them everywhere. They're speedsters. They're going. You end up seeing what appears to be the Pied Piper ends up getting saved in Central City. He's gra- grabbing for the flute, and all of a sudden, and he's about to get just destroyed. All of a sudden, you see the speed, the speed force lightning come, and all of them are all the infected are gone. Now, this is what's really cool, and I, I think this is a great touch, and I think it's something that a lot of people uh, just kind of went past and didn't really take notice of. You end up here where you legitimately have Wally West, who saves Arsenal. He saves Roy, which is such a cool shout out of, "Hey, everybody." 
Wally is not a murderer, at least in my universe, and he doesn't kill Arsenal. He ends up saving him because in New York City, you do have Roy fighting off all these infected on a rooftop, one being a priest, one being a mother with a little infant, and it looks like they're going to get overwhelmed. And zippity doodah, Speed Force deal, and you even see Wally's little Speed Force in the Speed Force, his costume. He ends up saving his buddy, and that was really cool. I really, really enjoyed that. In Gotham, you end up having Harley and Ivy save. They're just walking down the street, and they are about to be destroyed from behind. This is huge. And, and yeah, you can say, okay, well, Pied Piper, maybe he'll be later. He'll come in later. and get, Oh, you know, Arsenal, that's cool, whatever. The thing, though, that with this, if you read Unkillables, if this scene doesn't happen with Ivy and Harley, then Unkillables doesn't happen. Or at least things are in trouble with this whole deal because that's the sanctuary of Ivy's in Gotham that the Unkillables end up going to. That wouldn't have happened. And, and you, you are showing in, again, this is an issue. If you want to give the shout out to Wally West fans, Wally West people of the whole nonsense that went on in the regular continuity and the bigger books and all that, you have a story in this one shot of how Wally West saved everything. And saved even what's going to go forward. It's so good. And they're doing this. The problem is they're not getting anywhere overall. They're trying to stop it. There's too much. There's too many infected. What are we going to do? And what they end up deciding is we're going to have to go. to. And it's kind of a side little deal. Man, we probably need to go to an entirely new Earth. And yeah, and even Max Mercury. Yeah, we then we need another Earth. And the way they can do it and their flashes, they have these, well, they go to the dual cosmic treadmill that at one point Jay and Barry used to open a hole in space. They're going to try to open up a hole to another planet and then push the people through there so that they can save them, go to this alternate planet. And you end up where you need the fastest of this group. That would be Bart and Wally. They're going to get on this tandem treadmill. They have to run faster than they ever have. And as the portal opens, you have to get Jesse and Max to go out and grab people and be very careful that they don't get infected themselves, but also don't grab anybody who's infected. It is one of those plans that is such a Hail Mary that it's also a fumble ruski tied in with the Statue of Liberty play. It only works once. You know, don't throw it away, as Wilco once sang. But you end up with all this going on and they're going to do it. And the problem is, is as they're doing it, they are saving. And one of the really nice touches is Max and Jesse go up. Max grabs Linda first. One of the first to go through to be saved is Linda. And you see Wally running on that. Tr- he is so happy. He has this huge smile on his face. It actually gives me, it's like a weird thing that should not give me the feels that much. It gives me goosebumps, actually. And you end up having Wally. I got to give Max a big hug when this is over for doing that. That's a huge solid for him. The problem is you're not going to be able to really do that. But you end up with all this going on. And as it's going, Bart is struggling. And, and Bart, the little fella, he is doing his best. He needs to concentrate. Bart's not the great concentrator, but he's like me. I mean, I, I don't have my Adderall right now because of this whole deal. And I got laid off and I don't have insurance. It's the worst. And I have real problems now, as you probably can tell when we're talking about all this stuff. But they're putting everybody through. And Bart ends up having the worst thing that can ever happen on a treadmill. 
that is so terrifying to me. I've had dreams about this. It's such nonsense. This goes hand in hand to me with getting caught in an escalator. I am still petrified. I am a, I'm a grown man. And I get really scared going on escalators because I think it's going to get me. I call it the mangler. And as I'm going up or down, I yell to it, you mangler, you're not going to get me. And I jump at the end. But the thing on the treadmill that drives me, you know, insane thinking about. And I, I have gone and I do a lot of running on the. I'm more of a treadmill runner than an actual out and about runner, which screws me now because you can't go to any gym or whatnot. And my wife, Tanya, she ended up selling my treadmill. And now I wish I had it again. But you end up where Bart collapses, falls, hits the treadmill deal, hits the tread and zips out the back and goes and bounces off the stairs of the Flash Museum and then through a brick wall out into the open where there are all of the infected and they are going to get him. And just seeing little Bart go boom out there and he just goes, Max, and there is no way. No way in hell that Max Mercury is going to let Bart Allen get hurt at all. He runs out as also you still have the hero moment for Wally because now he's running for two. You know, he is running and he has to go full out because they still need the portal open. They have to get through. And so you end up where he's going. He thinks he's not going to make it at the last second. Max comes in holding Bart under one arm, comes in and grabs Wally in the other. And they all go through, including Jesse. L- luckily, Jesse realizes what was going on. She got herself through. So they made it. They made it into this other earth where everybody's fine. There aren't any infected <sighs> except Max Mercury. When he went out to get Bart, he ended up getting scratched. He saved his little buddy and ended up getting scratched. So he says, I'm sorry, kid. I wasn't as fast as I once was. And it's awful. And you have Bart just know. And it's funny because I told Eric about this. And he's like, nobody cares about Max Mercury. The only one who would be upset about that is Bart. And I didn't say anything about Bart. I just said Max Mercury gets infected. And that was his exact words. The only person who would get upset about that is Bart. Boy, Bart gets upset. And you, you feel so much. He, he's trying to get to Max. And you have Jesse holding him back because Max is infected. He's starting to say, I can feel it. And even the description, I really love the way Tom Taylor does this because we're seeing a little more of what the infection feels like with Max having it and getting it more and more and says, and it's just, it's so simple, but I I love the idea. He says, I can feel it crawling through my body. And you can just think of that. It's like slither or something. Oh my goodness. But you end up having Max say, you, you got you to gotta take care of me, Wally. You got to end me. I, I can't be left here. I will end up being all this. Now, I thought that maybe you can kind of put him in like a cell or something, <laughs> but it won't be Max anyway. So what Wally says is, listen, while you're not infected yet, me and you, why don't we go run? And it's one of those, you know, when the Flashes do this, a lot of times they'll do this to calm down. They'll they'll have a talk. What? But he wants he wants Max to go for a run with him. And Max goes over to Bart and says, "Goodbye, Bart. I love you. Be good." And he goes off, and it's so sad. And it is, and it's like I don't want to lose. And even Wally, we don't want to lose him. We can't save Max's life, but that doesn't mean we have to lose him to this damn thing. And they give. Max, some of they transfer some of their speed to him, 
and then they start running. And he says, and we run. We run through sound. We run through light. We run into silence and calm. And Max is still running. Max Mercury enters the speed force. I see him smile. And then, and he says, thank you, Wally. And he's gone. And he pretty much is now in the speed force. He's in the speed force running forever. He's home. He's crying. Uh, You know, he's going to miss Bart. But at least he's there. Now, if you did read Injustice, this reminds me a lot of the Teen Titans getting put in the Phantom Zone type deal. I don't know how this, if this will play out in a negative. I don't know what happens to this virus in the Speed Force. You would think that it's kind of separated type deal. Who knows? This might end up biting everybody in the butt by the end, but we'll have to see. But it was a nice ending, a weird look at the end when you see the Speed Force version of a disappearing Max Mercury kind of looks odd. But I do like it. There's some feels here. And this is the best chapter of this, you know, deceased to hope at world's end. It's easily the best chapter. And it's easily one that if you aren't reading any of the others, if you're a Wally West fan who maybe it, it would it would serve you well if you read the first six issues of deceased. But even then, if you go into this and you're just a Wally fan, you don't care about the deceased, just go into this and think of this as, okay, it's Wally West versus a zombie apocalypse type deal. I still think you can have a lot of fun with this and you can really get a lot of your character that you love doing the things that you love, doing everything, being unsel- you know, being the most unselfish guy, putting himself on the line, all that stuff gets some feels. Because, yeah, really, this is a really good just standalone issue as well for all you Wally West fans or just somebody who wants a nice story. But I like this deceased. I didn't like the first six issues as much as most. I actually found that boring. I actually found it more cliche, more kind of a generic thing than, than a Tom Taylor usually does. Tom Taylor usually gets me invested in characters that I don't really care about. I fall in love with them, and then he kills them. That's what he does. In the first deceased, they were the bigger characters, Superman, Wonder Woman, all these that I I just didn't get that feels for. There wasn't that, you know, wacky type of thing that I always love from Tom Taylor. Unkillables, though, won me over. And by the end of Unkillables, the third issue, I was full on into this. And this actually, this issue has that feel like that. And if you have been reading everything, it ties really good in and is one of those that tied in a lot better than the first two as well and really gets me excited for this. And But overall, I hope that we get more of a cohesive running story. This has been three issues that, yeah, they all happen at the same kind of time frame, but I want more of an ongoing story that I can get behind and do that. But yeah, this is great. I give it a 9 out of 10 right now and yeah i i just enjoy it and i hope that everybody who listened here might go check it out and if you did and you enjoy it or not enjoy it you could always get a hold of me on twitter tell me what you thought all that sort of thing so i hope that you enjoyed this spotlight i hope i didn't ramble on too much just like robert plan as i always say but i am tired it's getting really really early slash late slash early and uh, I'm getting the uh, motor mouth, so I got the diarrhea of the of the vocal cords. But thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, if you want to check us out all around, especially if this is the first time that you kind of came into this, like, oh, I want to check out what this is. Uh, we have our bigger podcast, our bigger DC podcast that comes out every Sunday night. That is with me and Eric. 
This week, I believe we have eight or nine books on the podcast. Me and Eric have already done a bunch of them. I would say it, it is a longer podcast than most standards, though. It used to be 13 hours long. Now it's about three. So you can get with the deal and, and go with that. But again, we also have our website, weirdsciencedccomics.com. We have our Patreon, patreon.com slash weird science, where you can get a lot of shows. I'm going to go off probably right now, even though it is early slash late. I am going to go off and finish up a recording that I was doing that is talking about the Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen issue, where he pretty much becomes a Nazi war criminal slash hero, depending on where you're looking at it from. If you're part of the Germans there, he was a hero and ends up being promoted by Hitler throughout the whole issue. It is nonsense. Oh my, it is nonsense, but like stuff like that is what we have over on the Patreon. And yeah, we also have that YouTube channel. I said I've been doing a lot more videos over there. You can go over to or look up on YouTube, Weird Science Comics. You'll find us there. It'd be great if you'd subscribe to the channel, like all the videos, give me a shout out. You can talk to me there as well. I have a video up for this deceased up there so you could check that out as well but thanks everybody and i'll see you soon